G'day, this is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. So you wrote a book. Yes. That's good. You were punished for it. (laughs) (laughs) That was a long writing process, I got to tell you. Wowzers. For people who don't know how what it's like to write a book, what would your advice be about what it's like to write a book? Don't do it. Don't R- run. <laughs> be will. Or, get into therapy. That's what I would say. Yeah. Well, especially if you're going to write about your life, right? Mm, maybe but any type whole, of writing. Wasn't the whole process like a therapy session for you? Like one big, long, personal, self-indulgent, exhausting. Mm. boring therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> I reckon if I'm like being quite serious about it, it's probably 10 years of therapy mm. to write a memoir. I appreciate the use of the word reckon. <laughs> Welcome to Australia. <laughs> Mate, I can do the full Aussie for you. <laughs> um, why did you write it? Where did, where did it come from? So during the two lockdowns, when things opened up, I was at a bookstore in Balmain and I went up to the woman. Suburb the, of Sydney. Suburb of Sydney walk up to the woman at the front and I go, do you have any gay books? And she's like, excuse me? <laughs> Thinking I'm being offensive. I'm like, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. She slips you like a gay porn magazine from under <laughs> the like, counter. Do I? Like, do I ever? <laughs> and she was, I was like, LGBTQI+. She's like, let me look it up for you. We have Call Me By Your Name with Timothy Chalamet. Mm. And I was like, I've already read I'll that twice. Um, and she was like, no, we don't. We don't have anything. But I can order some for you. Which ones would you suggest? And I was a deer in headlights. I was like, I don't know. I was hoping there would just be a section and then I could feel good about myself for grabbing a book about my community. So I went home, Googled it, started to do some research. I'm just a big fan of memoirs. Like, I actually like them. I like reading them. And so I just looked it up, hoping I could find some gay family that's Australian or American. Couldn't find one. Lots of books, like fiction novels have been written about us, but there wasn't a parenting memoir. That happened probably six months before I was approached by HarperCollins. And they said, no one's written a queer memoir like this. It's either going to be you and Josh or one of the two other queer media (laughs) families that exist. Is this something that you could do? And I think the fact that I knew it didn't exist and then was approached was like, well, obviously there's a need for this and I want to be a writer. And wasn't she, was the publisher a fan of your Instagram? Yeah. So she knew that you were good with a little quip, mm, a little bon mot. She had listened to our podcast interview, oh. Mia Friedman. On Mamma Mia Out Loud. No filter. No filter, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. one. So they she have, listened to that. They have seven million podcasts <laughs> for Mamma Mia Media Empire. <laughs> she right. listened to that, loved it, Googled my name, and then read every article I'd ever written. Because I had right. been writing for years by that point. Yep. And she said, this is a writer. He has a full book in him, I'm sure of it. And then she emailed me. And then the process of actually putting that book together was... Them saying, all right, go and write a memoir. You going, okay, I'm going to write a memoir and heading over to them and them going, ah, yeah. So we didn't mean that kind of memoir. Mm. Oh, it's true. It's true, isn't it? So basically what they did was, hey, you got to write an outline. What are the stories? In what order? How many do you have? Is there enough here, right? And so I think I wrote out over the course of a month, 35 stories that I thought I had in me about my life and about parenting. And then they approved probably 25, and then I just wrote them. Right. I followed the guideline that I had gotten approved. After they read it, they did come back, tail between legs. I'm like, so listen, we love it, but this isn't actually what we imagined it would be, even though it was the outline. We need you to scrap 
the first 10 chapters. Which were mostly about being a tortured gay kid in mm. New Hampshire. Yes. And they wanted funny, what, whimsical, like, more sort of, here's what it's like to be a gay dad in the 2020s. Wah, wah. I think the exact phrase was, you know, a little bit more like Queer Eye. <laughs> and I was like, stop! No. Right, yeah. They wanted it to be, as they put it, and in retrospect, they were right. The world has just gone through two years of total shit. Right. People don't want to read Misery They're memoirs. talking about the Queer Eye remake. <laughs> or the, no, the pandemic, I understand. Yeah, 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 pandemic. <laughs> uh, right, yeah, okay. And, they, and so they wanted, and also you have a very strong persona on Instagram, which is Not sassy, exactly. upbeat, mm. snappy, yeah. Queer Eye. Queer Eye. Basically. Absolutely. And then you hand in this, like, uh, this morbid, turgid, uh, self-loathing, uh, like memoir of yeah. the little bullied gay kid and they're mm. like no more sunshine exactly so you gave him more sunshine and now it's a big hit it is i hope it's we're in the early so good, phases so far so good yeah. still hitting hitting big numbers i'm seeing it on all the charts what feedback are you getting from it hmm. i would say 90 percent of the feedback is from women almost all of them are saying something on the lines of i'm really surprised how similar your experience is to mine something on the lines of i saw myself in this story and this story in what respect story. what kind what's the through line i would say probably isolation feeling that there's a parenting script that doesn't make sense for them struggling but not wanting to admit they're struggling out of fear of being judged as being a shitty parent uh struggling with the early days and figuring yourself out after leaving a job working with your partner I mean, there really are so many overlaps in our experience and heterosexual couples. People just look at us and think, oh, their experience must be so different. And I think for most women who pick up the book, they're flipping through the pages and going, oh, shit, they're really not. Gender mm. really doesn't have that much to do. After the birth process and the breastfeeding, all the experiences of being sleep deprived and trying to figure it out and wanting to do a good job and losing, losing night sleep is not just for women. And they're figuring that out as learning it, as they're reading it. Yeah. I don't think most people think that our experience must be very different. I mean, I think most people who've spoken to me about the early days of parenthood are like, it sucks, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it does. Like, you don't have to have boobs for it to suck. I am shocked by how many people say it, that clearly it is a large insight. Like, say what? Come in and say, I was surprised at how much I related to. I think they buy the book thinking, I'm a good person. Look at me reading mm. a gay parenting memoir mm. because I am an ally. And then they flip through the pages and they come to a chapter about postnatal depression or come to a chapter about us drugging our kids on a plane with Benadryl or whatever. <laughs> and they go, I've made the same mistakes. I've struggled the same amount. I felt similarly to Sean. And the fact that he's articulating it in a way that I can relate to and understand and feel nostalgic towards is a aha for them. Mm. And so clearly, e either it's because men aren't talking enough about it and they have a stereotype that men must not experience the same thing or they've never spoken to a gay person who's parenting. And do you think it's easy? Well, I mean, and also not a lot of gay people necessarily are having families. I mean, more mm. are, but the, you know, the stereotype still generally holds as a, as a, as a rule that most gay guys are not in married relationships with little children. Totally. So you're breaking the mold. I'm breaking the mold. I was going to say. We're breaking the mold. Look at you, right here. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not part of the community, which is that other word that you used when you were saying that there, you, there were no books that were from our community and you wanted to look at books that were from our community. What does that mean to you? I think of the community as 
a group of people with a shared experience. And so when I think about parenting books, when I think about parenting memoirs as the large category, there is, you know, usually a section in a bookstore about parenting. You pick them up and you read them and you and I read them and they're either written to women specifically or they're not specifically written for women, but you can tell that they are they know who's picking up the books or it's a book that specifically says hey dad Mm. the first early days and paragraph after paragraph chapter after chapter there's a constant reference to a man and a woman a man and a woman and so for me looking for some type of book that represents anyone who's not in a heterosexual relationship the people who have those stories to tell are usually same-sex couples and so i think of that as like the larger queer community writing books about that experience. Do you, and do you think it was easier or harder for us um, not being of opposite sexes than it is for people who are of opposite sex to raise kids in those early dark days? Because you were saying like men will either just sort of check out and avoid the question mm. and some fathers have the luxury of just doing that and of just not being present and not being the one who changes the nappies or the diapers or whatever, you know, not, not engaging. Uh, and using the excuse of the woman's biology as a reason, as a rationale for why she should be the primary carer. Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes there are reasons for that, like giving milk, and sometimes there are no re- no good reasons for that, like just a cultural norm around doing housework versus being the breadwinner. Mm. Um, in our case, we don't have an automatic assumption about those things. Is that a, a benefit or a curse? Oh, it's an absolute benefit. Let's table the obvious hurdles we had to jump over. So, uh, is there Do you mean set aside the obvious hurdles? Yes. Because you know that table means the opposite thing in America and England. Ooh. Yeah. In one, to table something means to put it on the table and talk about it now. And in another, it mean, to table something means to put it on a table and not deal with it. Wow. Isn't I guess weird? I'm doing both right now. Okay. Well, let's table. Let's put it onto it. Let's put it under, under the table. Under the table, the fact that we couldn't just have sex to have children. We tried. I mean, we were really it's putting true. in the effort and it didn't work. Never happened. So we had to... A, pay for it, a lot of money. I think you calculated something in the range of 250000 Australian dollars, yep. which translates to what in America? I don't Less. Know. Yeah. Not more. It's not more impressive. Mm, it sounded like that. you were expecting <laughs> me to be like, that's 400000 No, it's only 100 and something. I thought you were going to do quick math. 184. 150? Mm. And then there's, I guess, the hurdle of societal pressure or judgment about us doing it at all, which you get from everyone. They don't, not just straight people, like, you know, other queer people being like, you're doing what? Well, especially gay people. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, straight people are fine with it, I think, mostly. You know, the only people who ever give a shit about it are other gays. Who yeah. Are like, you know, you're betraying the team or you're sold out. And it's you're a direct. opting for the boring life. Mm, direct attack on their choices. And a little bit of the internalized homophobia comes bubbling up to the top of their mouth. And they're like, no, 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 no. I will judge. <laughs> or they say things like... Why would you ever do surrogacy when so many children need to be adopted? The judgment comes in and many Right. Well, yes, and straight people say that as well. Yeah. So if you put those two things aside, because we couldn't just follow a broken script and because one of us wasn't literally on a bed drugged up. Well, I was, but that was recreational. (laughs) I think we had it easier. We both did the exact same amount of bottle feeds. We both did the exact same amount of nappy feeds, underwear changes clothing you know everything and the exact same amount of mdma it was it great. was fabulous <laughs> it, 
And yeah. because we did the same amount of everything, I think there was much more of a mutual respect and a feeling that we were on the same path together, like Intrepid Voyagers stepping step by step by step. When I talk to my straight friends about this, it is not like that. It is mother feeling like I have to do everything, breastfeeding, got to figure this out. Father feeling like he's not very useful, kind of feels like he's like a delivery nurse. So I'm just going to hand you the child every time the child wakes up and drop it off. How many dads have we spoken to who felt like they didn't even connect with their children for the first three, six, nine months? Yeah. And women feeling like they are, the second they give birth, their body is fully recovering and they're, feed this child mm. on this exact schedule. Don't fuck it up. And we just didn't have that. And so I think when I talked to my straight friends about our first maybe three months, I think, yeah, we had it really lucky. Mm. Well, the first three months. 